Letter seven of Letters from a Farmer in Pennsylvania. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Moser. Letters from a Farmer in Pennsylvania by John Dickinson. Letter seven. Beloved Countrymen, This letter is intended more particularly for such of you whose employment in life may have prevented your attending to the consideration of some points that are of great and public importance. For many such persons there must be even in these colonies where the inhabitants in general are more intelligent than any other people as has been remarked by strangers, and it seems with reason. Some of you, perhaps, filled as I know your breasts are with loyalty to our most excellent prince, and with love to our dear mother country, may feel yourselves inclined by the affections of your hearts to approve every action of those whom you so much venerate and esteem. A prejudice thus flowing from goodness of disposition is amiable indeed. I wish it could be indulged without danger. Did I think this possible, the error should have been adopted, not opposed by me. But in truth, all men are subject to the passions and frailties of nature, and therefore whatever regard we entertain for the persons of those who govern us, we should always remember that their conduct as rulers may be influenced by human infirmities. When any laws injurious to these colonies are passed, we cannot, with the least propriety, suppose that any injury was intended us by His Majesty or the lords for the assent of the crown and peers to law seems as far as i am able to judge to have been vested in them more for their own security than for any other purpose on the other hand it is the particular busyness of the people to inquire and discover what regulations are useful for themselves and to digest and present them in the form of bills to the other orders to have them enacted into laws where these laws are to bind themselves it may be expected that the house of commons will very carefully consider them but when they are making laws that are not designed to bind themselves we cannot imagine that their deliberations will be as cautious and scrupulous as in their own case I am told that there is a wonderful address frequently used in carrying points in the House of Commons by persons experienced in these affairs, that opportunities are watched, and sometimes votes are passed, that if all the members had been present, would have been rejected by a great majority. Certain it is 
that when a powerful and artful man has determined on any measure against these colonies he has always succeeded in his attempt perhaps therefore it will be proper for us whenever any oppressive act affecting us is passed to attribute it to the inattention of the members of the house of commons and to the malevolence or ambition of some factious great man rather than to any other cause now i do verily believe that the late act of parliament imposing duties on paper etc was formed by mr grenville and his party because it is evidently a part of that plan by which he endeavoured to render himself popular at home and i do also believe that not one half of the members of the house of commons even of those who heard it read did perceive how destructive it was to american freedom for this reason as it is useful in great britain to consider the king's speech as the speech of the ministry it may be right here to consider this act as the act of a party perhaps i should speak more properly if i was to use another term there are two ways of laying taxes one is by imposing a certain sum on particular kinds of property to be paid by the user or consumer or by taxing the person at a certain sum the other is by imposing a certain sum on particular kinds of property to be paid by the seller when a man pays the first sort of tax he knows with certainty that he pays so much money for a tax the consideration for which he pays it is remote and it may be does not occur to him he is sensible too that he is commanded and obliged to pay it as a tax and therefore people are apt to be displeased with this sort of tax the other sort of tax is submitted to in a very different manner the purchaser of any article very seldom reflects that the seller raises his price so as to indemnify him for the tax he has paid he knows the prices of things are continually fluctuating and if he thinks about the tax he thinks at the same time in all probability that he might have paid as much if the article he buys had not been taxed he gets something visible and agreeable for his money and tax and price are so confounded together that he cannot separate or does not choose to take the trouble of separating them this mode of taxation therefore is the most suited to arbitrary and oppressive governments the love of liberty is so natural to the human heart that unfeeling tyrants think themselves obliged to accommodate their schemes as much as they can to the appearance of justice and reason and to deceive those whom they resolve to destroy or oppress by presenting to them a miserable picture of freedom when the inestimable original is lost this policy did not escape the cruel and rapacious nero that monster 
apprehensive that his crimes might endanger his authority and life, thought proper to do some popular acts to secure the obedience of his subjects. Among other things, says Tacitus, he remitted the twenty-fifth part of the price on the sale of slaves, but rather in shoe than reality. For the seller, being ordered to pay it, it became a part of the price to the buyer. This is the reflection of the judicious historian. But the deluded people gave their infamous emperor full credit for his false generosity. Other nations have been treated in the same manner the Romans were. The honest, industrious Germans, who are settled in different parts of this continent, can inform us that it was this sort of tax that drove them from their native land to our woods, at that time the seats of perfect and undisturbed freedom. Their princes, inflamed by the lust of power and the lust of avarice, two furies, that the more hungry they grow, transgressed the bounds they ought in regard to themselves to have observed. To keep up the deception in the minds of subjects, there must be, says a very learned author, some proportion between the impost and the value of the commodity. Wherefore, there ought not to be an excessive duty upon merchandise of little value. There are countries in which the duty exceeds seventeen or eighteen times the value of the commodity. In this case, the prince removes the illusion, his subjects plainly see, they are dealt with in an unreasonable manner, which renders them most exquisitely sensible of their slavish situation. From hence, it appears that subjects may be ground down into misery by this sort of taxation as well as the other. They may be as much impoverished if their money is taken from them in this way as in the other, and that it will be taken may be more evident by attending to a few more considerations. The merchant or importer who pays the duty at first will not consent to be so much money out of pocket. He, therefore, proportionably raises the price of his goods. It may then be said to be a contest between him and the person offering to buy, who shall lose the duty. This must be decided by the nature of the commodities and the purchaser's demand for them. If they are mere luxuries, he is at liberty to do as he pleases, and if he buys, he does it voluntarily. But if they are absolute necessaries, or conveniences which use and custom have made requisite for the comfort of life, and which he is not permitted by the power imposing the duty to get elsewhere, there the seller has a plain advantage, and the buyer must pay the duty. In fact, the seller is nothing less than the collector of the tax for the power that imposed it. If these duties, then, are extended to necessaries and conveniences of life in general, and enormously increased, 
the people must at length become indeed most exquisitely sensible of their slavish situation their happiness therefore entirely depends on the moderation of those who have authority to impose the duties i shall now apply these observations to the late act of parliament certain duties are thereby imposed on paper and glass etc imported into these colonies by the laws of great britain we are prohibited to get these articles from any other part of the world we cannot at present nor for many years to come though we should apply ourselves to these manufacturers with the utmost industry make enough ourselves for our own use that paper and glass are not only convenient but absolutely necessary for us i imagine very few will contend some perhaps who think mankind grew wicked and luxurious as soon as they found out another way of communicating their sentiments than by speech and another way of dwelling than in caves may advance so whimsical an opinion but i presume nobody will take the unnecessary trouble of refuting them from these remarks i think it evident that we must use paper and glass that what we use must be british and that we must pay the duties imposed unless those who sell these articles are so generous as to make us presents of the duties they pay which is not to be expected some persons may think this act of no consequence because the duties are so small a fatal error that is the very circumstance most alarming to me for i am convinced that the authors of this law would never have obtained an act to raise so trifling a sum as it must do had they not intended by it to establish a precedent for future use to console ourselves with the smallness of the duties is to walk deliberately into the snare that is set for us praising the neatness of the workmanship suppose the duties imposed by the late act could be paid by these distressed colonies with the utmost ease and that the purposes to which they are to be applied were the most reasonable and equitable that could be conceived the contrary of which i hope to demonstrate before these letters are concluded yet even in such a supposed case these colonies ought to regard the act with abhorrence for who are a free people not those over whom government is reasonably and equitably exercised but those who live under a government so constitutionally checked and controlled that proper provision is made against its being otherwise exercised the late act is founded on the destruction of this constitutional security if the parliament have a right to lay a duty of four shillings and eight pence on a hundred weight of glass or a ream of paper they have a right to lay a duty of any other sum on either they may raise the duty as the author before quoted 
says has been done in some countries, till it exceeds seventeen or eighteen times the value of the commodity. In short, if they have a right to levy a tax of one penny upon us, they have a right to levy a million upon us. For where does their right stop? At any given number of pence, shillings, or pounds? To attempt to limit their right, after granting it to exist at all, is as contrary to reason as granting it to exist at all is contrary to justice. If they have any right to tax us, then, whether our own money shall continue in our own pockets or not, depends no longer on us, but on them. There is nothing which we can call our own, or to use the words of Mr. Locke, what property have we in that which another may by right take when he pleases to himself? These duties, which will inevitably be levied upon us, and which are now levying upon us, are expressly laid for the sole purpose of taking money. This is the true definition of taxes. They are therefore taxes. This money is to be taken from us. We are therefore taxed. Those who are taxed without their own consent, given by themselves or their representatives, are slaves. We are taxed without our own consent, given by ourselves or our representatives. We are therefore, I speak it with grief, I speak it with indignation, we are slaves. Miserabile vulgus. A miserable tribe. A farmer. End of Letter 7